Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Welcome to another episode of Modern Chiropractic Mastery. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Christie. And today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Donald Murphy on the show and, and interview him. Uh, he's a, a man of many talents. He, a lot of you may know him through the PSP program or the Primary Spine Practitioner Program. And we're going to dive into a lot of that, but also touch on you know what it, what it means to further education, what it means to even specialize you know, comparing ourselves in a sense to how a lot of times medical doctors graduate medical school, and then they've got three, four, five years of residency to really hone in a skill set. Whereas in chiropractic school, we graduate chiropractic uh, college in, in, you know, three or, you know, three and a half, four years, and then we dive right into our career without maybe um, fine tuning our skills per se. But we dive into a lot of topics and Donald Murphy's doing a lot of stuff in various uh, realms. You know, a lot of you may know him through CRISP protocols in the books there, and we touch on that, and I highly recommend those books as a foundation for your education. He's on the Department of Faculty at uh, Brown University. Obviously, he's got an affiliation there with University of Pittsburgh in the PSP program. And so we dive into that, but we also dive into some parallel topics and how you could position yourself uh, in your community even better and really separate yourself from all the other chiropractors by having a particular skill set or niche. Uh, we talk about how uh, you might position yourself to get a better uh, job from a private practice, how you may better get a better job uh, from you know maybe a hospital group or the VA because of uh, specialties and such. And you know we dive into certain topics like having, the PSP or other types of diplomates and such? Does it increase your uh, compensation structures and packages? And, and a lot of various topics on that. And it was a really great wide-ranging conversation. And, and I really enjoyed it uh, to, to get to know him. It's someone I've followed for many years. I've read the books and, and, and seen him speak. And to be able to have him on the podcast was uh, really exciting. So, But before we dive into that episode, I wanted to let you know about the Chiropractic Success Academy. That's at csacircle.com. We've revamped. We've gone from Kajabi platform to Searchy, which is specifically designed for uh, programs like these, these memberships where we have a ton of content. It's it's called Searchy because you can search it really well. The search function is amazing. And, you know, if you're trying to find something on front desk, you type that in and it'll find it for you. We've got it laid out really well with the different um, monthly contacts, core contents, taking your assessments, uh, the playbooks we have, like we've finished an associate playbook, a front desk playbook, to really where you can start building out systems for your practice. And it also comes with a digital dashboard where you plan out your marketing and your practice analytics and tracking your quarterly goals. I mean, really the it's the dashboard for your practice. And and all of that is $99 a month, and it's month to month, so it's not a, a huge financial commitment, but it's got a ton of value, and we're excited to uh, launch it on a new platform that's easy to digest and consume the content so that you don't get overwhelmed, and you can now have a guided program for you to help grow your practice. So check that out at csacircle.com. 
$99 a month, uh, no long-term commitments, and it can help you get going in the direction that you need to. All right, so here is my interview with Dr. Donald Murphy. All right, welcome to the show. I've got Dr. Donald Murphy here. I'm really excited to have a conversation. You know, sometimes uh, what's cool about my position here as a, as a podcaster over the last six years is, is as I get to know someone's work for, for many years, I've been practicing for about 18, and, and then I get the uh, fortunate opportunity to potentially interview them, and this is one of those uh, scenarios. So welcome to the episode, Doc. Uh, tell us a little about yourself personally and professionally, then we'll, we'll go from there. Well, thank you, um, Dr. Donald Murphy. I'm a, a chiropractor by background, a primary spine practitioner by practice. I've been in practice for, let me see, what is it? The 25 year, of, no, 35 years, 35 years in the chiropractic world, in the spine care world. Uh, it, the, the years went by pretty quickly, but a lot has happened in that time. Uh, most of that time I have spent in private practice. Right now I am practicing as a, a primary spine practitioner in a large orthopedic organization. Uh, prior to that, I was um, in a even larger uh, multi-hospital uh, healthcare system where I was functioning as a primary spine practitioner. In both places, I'm also implementing an integrated spine care pathway that ties in everybody that's involved in the care of patients with spine problems from a primary spine practitioner like me to the, the surgeons and everything in between, injectionists, um, uh, behavioral health specialists, primary care, et cetera. So that's, that's the, the clinical world I live in now. But importantly, the, most, the, the majority of those years, I've been functioning as a uh, primary spine practitioner in private practice. And that's really in part where this primary spine practitioner model generated was um, I and a, a bunch of like-minded uh, chiropractors that I, I started interacting with um, we started interacting with each other and talking about what we do, and we started realizing, you know, this is this is a thing that that is, you know, we're, we're doing something innovative here that is different from, you know, what you would normally see in a chiropractic environment or any other environment. And so, you know, what are what is it that we're doing here, and and um, how how can we uh, def define that and codify that? And we ended up. Um, becoming aware of what you're all familiar with Dr. Scott Haldeman. And he had written this one paper in, in uh, 2001 uh, where he talked about the importance of this upfront practitioner who takes care of people with spine problems that we're now calling the primary spine practitioner. And so we, he, he, was, he became very influential on us and we started realizing, yeah, this is Best basically what we're doing is we're functioning as a primary spine practitioner, and we'll get into the specifics of what that means. Uh, but we we started to collaborate with each other on how can we you know get this out there in the world. And so uh, it was people like Dr. Mike Schneider and Dr. Gary Ierna, Brian Justice, John Ventura, and uh, and several others who were in a like-minded uh, environment who were doing similar things, and that led to what we're now calling the primary spine practitioner. That's great. And, you know, I, I never want to uh, fall for the curse of knowledge that happens sometimes. So I don't want to assume that my audience knows exactly what it is, although a lot of our audience does because we have an evidence-informed, uh, you know, audience base here for sure. But let's dive into the specifics of, you know, PSP, primary spine practitioner. Give us really the context of, of what it is and how you're able to uh, really differentiate into it. 
Yeah. So the, the primary spine practitioner uh, is the is the professional person, the designation. That's the professional role. So it's you know we, we want to be be careful not to um, uh, claim that we're we're creating this this new thing. Well, it is new, but we're creating a better chiropractor. It's not a better chiropractor. It's it's just a slightly different uh, a, a role that is building on what every, we're all doing as chiropractors. Uh, so it, uh, you know, it, it, so you're not you know we're we're not claiming that we're better than any other chiropractor. There's di- different chiropractors doing different things, doing them really really well, and and great congratulations. This is a, a kind of a niche role that we're creating here, and so. That's the professional role. Uh, primary spine care is the concept of upfront care of patients with spine problems. And so the, the PSP then is, is basically primary care for patients with spine problems. And the, one of the reasons that we recognize that that's so important is that, as we all know, uh, primary, uh, traditional primary care practitioners, um, they're seeing most of the patients with, with back and neck pain. Um, but they, they, they haven't been given a lot of knowledge and skills that are needed to really uh, fully take care of that patient population, which is, you know, kind of unfair to the, the primary care community that we've been putting them in responsibility for taking care of people with spine problems, but we didn't give them the knowledge and skills to be able to do it. Well, you know, that's, again, that's kind of unfair. And so what we're, what we're seeing is that the, the primary spine practitioner role can step in and say, hey, we can, we can serve as that resource for you, the primary care community, to be able to just take care of those patients. Um, that, you know, we, we have the difference of diagnostic skills, the, the management strategies, evidence-based management strategies, but also we have the ability to make decisions as to what the patient needs in any given situation. What are the most important professional services that they may need beyond us uh, who are the other professional uh, specialists that may need to be needed in any given situation, uh, given, you know, depending on what the, the patient's uh, situation is, what the diagnosis is, what their needs are, et cetera. But also, and this is important when it comes to serving as a primary spine practitioner, is that coordinating referral of patients to receive other professional services when needed, majority of, of patients that we see don't need other professional services, we can take care of them completely. But as you well know, there's a sizable minority of patients with spine problems who do need other professional services. So the primary spine practitioner is, can take that role of taking responsibility for coordinating referral for those other services, but also following up with the patient after having received those professional services to make a determination as to, okay, what was the effect of that? How are things going? What's going on now? Does anything else need to be done? How do we accelerate you towards resolution of the problem as quickly as possible? So it's really about, you know, in, in, in um, uh, the, there's a famous book by Porter and Teesberg that, that's, that um, introduced this concept of managing the patient across the full cycle of the condition. And so uh, not everybody has the knowledge and skills to be able to do that. The primary spike practitioner does because they have that that, that the, the ability to manage the majority without other professional services, but also has the ability to make decisions as to what other professional services may be needed and the ability to follow that patient along to make sure they, they maintain on, on target towards resolution. That's, that's basically good primary care 
Uh, but again, the, the traditional primary care practitioners don't really have that knowledge and skill set that are needed to, to, to really serve that role. Yeah. And, and one thing I've always found ironic about our profession is, is the chiropractic schools a lot of times get bashed and, and some, some of that's warranted. Um, but a lot of chiropractors expect after four years of chiropractic school that they should, you know, quote unquote, know all this stuff. And, and, but then you go to the medical field, you know, no one really graduates medical school and then jumps into being a spine surgeon, right? Um, <laughs> there's, there's many more years of residencies and fellows and, and all the stuff that goes along with that to, to actually become a expert in something. And, but then we, on the other hand, on chiropractors, we, we, she's like, oh, why don't we get that in chiropractic school? I was like, well, obviously they're trying to teach a lot of different things, a lot of uh, things they have to, you know, pass for boards and a lot of things that might have some, you know, old school. I went, I went to Logan. So, you know, I'm spending three trimesters learning Logan basic technique because it's kind of baked into the history, right? Uh, so um, there's a lot of reasons. And, and so to think that you're going to graduate chiropractic school after four years and be an expert, um, it's, just, it's just false. It's, it's, you know, some people may have a, a, a better uh, intelligence level and, and they've you know, basically spent 40 hours a week in addition to you know, other things. And maybe they went through your program as a student. But uh, the ones that just matriculate through chiropractic school really it's going to be challenging to be an expert. And I, I always try to be honest with my audience. And I was fortunate enough where I, you know, I, I definitely learned a lot from the Motion Palpation Institute when I was a student. And I did things like ART and I came out feeling pretty good. But I mean, I felt like it took me 10 years to really start to feel confident. Like a couple of things you mentioned were really like to know when to refer out into the right provider or to understand those red flags that that do pop up every so often right yeah it's easy when that person comes in with headaches and it's you know it's musculoskeletal and you know palpation manipulation does great some rehab but there's a lot of stuff going on and yeah. and that's what i think we have to start to understand as chiropractors is that yeah matriculating out of chiropractic school isn't really the end game here we got to keep yes. at something and this is yes. one of those somethings for sure Absolutely. And, you know, that, that's, that's something that I, I say uh, all the time. And I, especially when I uh, present to chiropractic students uh, or recent graduates, but even long, more long-term graduates, uh, when I talk about uh, the primary spine practitioner model, when I talk about the uh, CRISP principles that we'll, we'll, we, we can get to in, in, a, in a moment, if you want, um, is that, and they say, why didn't we learn this in school? Well, you know, can only learn so much in school in that amount of time. And to your point, uh, you know, my main academic appointment now is at the medical school at Brown University here in Rhode Island, where I live. And I interact with fourth year uh, medical students all the time. We're getting ready to graduate medical school. They've been through four years of medical school. They've learned so much and they've gained so much um, uh, knowledge. But are they ready to go out and, and practice and, and work with patients? No way. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just starting their clinical training. You know, if there's a if there's a detriment, detriment is not the right word, but if there's a a gap that we need to fill in chiropractic is it's not that the chiropractic the chiropractic schools aren't doing a good job. It's that we need to have that next step of getting into the you know gaining the clinical knowledge and skills that you need to build upon the great foundation that you received in your chiropractic training. And so, if there are improvements we really need to work at, is it's that. 
Uh, not that the schools aren't doing enough because they're doing a great job by and large. It, things can always get better and they certainly are working on that. But that's where we have that gap. But what we're doing here now is, is we're, we're filling those gaps. If you want to go in you know, the area of sports chiropractic, there are resources you can gain in regard to that. If you want to become a primary spine practitioner, you want to go in that direction, there are resources available for you to be able to gain the knowledge and skills, to be able to gain marketing strategies, to uh, inform the community as to what you do and how well you do it, et cetera. So if the profession as a large is not quite there yet to fill those gaps, we need to fill those, fill those gaps ourselves, and we have resources out there that can help us to do that. Yeah, and one of the things I, I kind of preach a lot is I need chiropractors to start thinking of those first three years out of chiropractic school as kind of like a residency. It's a, in a way a self-made residency, but you know, find a really good job if, you, if you're going that route that's not necessarily, you're, you're, it's not about the money in those first three years. Obviously, you want to have a livable wage. There's no doubt about that, but I'd rather you find a really good practitioner to learn from and, and kind of, you know, learn clinically, like you mentioned, what the MDs have to do at some point. Uh, I, I really want them to do that. And then, yeah, like find the track that you want to go down uh, that's going to add to your knowledge, something like what you're talking about. And that's something I talk quite a bit about, and I'm hoping more chiropractors understand that. It's because I've seen, and you've seen them too, right? So many young DCs come out of the gates in a really bad situation. They, they take that one job because it paid an extra 5K a year and it was miserable. And then they're, they're set off on this bad path versus finding a really good position. Obviously still want to get paid you know, a livable wage, but that you're going to learn a ton. And I need chiropractors to start thinking about that more. And it's very, very important because re medical residents aren't, you know, they're not driving Lamborghinis. Like <laughs> <laughs> my ex was one and I remember the paychecks. This, I mean, this would have been in uh, 2009, 10, 11 through three residency. It was like 39K, 42K and 46K. And I think she was working 70 hours a week. Right. Um, but ultimately it's, it's training. And so uh, that's a long preamble to a segue I want to take here to mm -hmm. where um, you mentioned the CRISP protocols. That was one thing that really helped clarify things for me was reading your books on that. Uh, and I, I, I think it's such a great step for chiropractors to dive into tomorrow. I mean, well, however long Amazon can get the book to them. Uh, but talk about that a little bit and then how that is obviously connected to PSP. Okay, so I came up with a thinking process called clinical reasoning in spine pain, CRISP. And so you, your audience may be familiar with it or may not be, but it was really interesting how this came about because it, it came about in a similar process as the primary spine practitioner model came about. And that is, uh, as I was developing my, skinical, my, my clinical skills and my knowledge uh, by reading the vast literature in the area, taking workshops, seminars, speaking with other uh, respected practitioners, I started gaining these knowledge and skills and I started applying them clinically with my patients. And so after a period of time, I basically there was a point when I, where I looked backwards at the several years at that point of, of clinical experience and the gaining of the knowledge and skills. And I realized, yeah, there's a thing here too. There's an organization to this. There's a process that I've developed that I'm going through the process of considering 
all of the different disparate factors that can be contributing to what's causing my patient to suffer, um, considering all of the disparate evidence that's out there as to what works and what doesn't work with regard to diagnosis and management, considering all those different factors, I've been able to get pretty good at organizing my thinking around allowing me to make a decision as to what is the diagnosis here, considering the fact that almost all of these patients uh, have uh, multifactorial problems that are leading to the diagnosis, and then make a decision as to what's the best course of action that I can take right now to manage those different factors that are there relevant here. And so it's a little bit overwhelming the more we realize how much we know about spine-related disorders, all the, again, the disparate, disparate factor that can contribute, uh, the, you know, the evidence out there that what, what works and what doesn't. And I thought maybe it would be a good idea for me to organize this structure, this clinical reasoning process, and put it out there as a book, as it turned out, I, I started teaching seminars about it, put a book out there, put a name on it, and then bring that to other people who may benefit from it. Because, you know, again, it's a bit overwhelming to really be the most excellent spine practitioner you can be. And you want to be able to apply your vast knowledge and skills in a busy clinical environment. Because if you have to spend, you know, um, an hour with every patient on every visit, that's not very practical. Uh, but what I've realized is that is also not necessary. You can be streamlined, you can be organized, you, and you can apply all of the important information and knowledge and skills in a busy clinical environment. And clinical reasoning and spine pain allows you to do that, gives you a framework up around which you're going to organize your thinking and make your clinical decisions uh, in a streamlined way that, that saves time, but also uh, ensures that you're covering all the necessary bases. Yeah, those, those books would be my first step for any of the any DC really, but let's just focus on the younger one. Like in your self-made residency, it's like hit those books up right now, start developing that framework. And then, uh, and then we can consider the PSP program, which I want you to talk a little about at University of Pittsburgh, give us some of the details of that. And then I'd like for you to kind of give me some vision on maybe if it's going to be in other locations, universities, or is it growing? Like just some of the future vision of that. Yeah. What this primary spine practitioner model and clinical reasoning and spine pain, CRISP processes uh, led to is that if we're really going to establish the primary spine practitioner as a bonafide thing in the, in, the, in the healthcare system, we need to do two things. Number one, we have to have a process to train practitioners to be able to play that role. And number two, we have to give those practitioners resources that they can, they can utilize going forward to build upon the foundation that we're creating in the training program. So we, at the University of Pittsburgh, I, I had conversations with Dr. Mike Schneider, you may be familiar with, and, and uh, uh, Dr. Mike Timko, uh, who now runs that program. And we decided, you know, the University of Pittsburgh is a great place to, to uh, establish that certification training process. And they were, and then their higher ups, the, um, the um, leaderships in, in that, uh, the, is, was the physical therapy department and the um, physical rehab department that were very enthusiastic about this. They saw the the value, they saw the role, they saw the forward thinking, um, uh, the visionary aspect of what we had to to, to bring to 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 the communities, 
Uh, and so they, they, they embraced it. So we started that, that uh, training in, uh, I think we started our first cohort in 2018. And, uh, and so it's a one year training process. It's four separated into four um, modules that have online distance learning materials and a, a live uh, in-person uh, class that is, takes place over a Friday evening, all day Saturday and Sunday morning that uh, the first three courses are uh, all online by Zoom. And then the fourth one is in-person in Pittsburgh, where we all get together and, and workshop together. And what we're doing here is, again, building a foundation upon which um, we can take somebody's existing knowledge and skills and augment them it, it, it to uh, to be able to play this new role of the primary spine practitioner, and so most of the the the, um, the professionals who have come through are chiropractors, but a, a bunch of them are physical therapists as well. We it's necessary to have people who come into the course that they have to have a certain level of of skill, knowledge, of skill with regard to differential diagnosis, manual therapies. Um, exercise, et cetera. So most of the, most of the people who apply have those foundational goals, but, but it's also why uh, everybody that's come through have been either a chiropractor or a physical therapist, because there really isn't any other professional group that systematically already have those basic knowledge and skills that can be built upon. So it, as it turns out, and this is, it, it turns out it's all physical therapists and chiropractors, and this is important as well, because chiropractors play an important role in this new innovative role of the primary spine practitioner. But it's not because you know, we're being nice to chiropractors because we like chiropractors because we are chiropractors. And after all, we want to help chiropractors. Those things are true, but that's not why chiropractors are being trained to be PSPs. Right? Chiropractors are being trained to be PSPs is because they have the knowledge and skills to do it. And so, so that's a, a great thing, I think, because it, it, it appreciates the, the value that you bring uh, to, the, to the healthcare system to be, because you can be uh, augmented to play this new role. And so it, it really, it, it gave, gave me for the, for the first time, really, uh, in my career, a, uh, a feeling that, you know, we have a, uh, a value that is being recognized, increasingly recognized. You know, we all have, we all know what we value we bring, and certainly our patients know the value we bring. But the greater world have not really had a you know a systematic appreciation for that. Now we're seeing, yes, they are recognizing the people that are out there are recognizing the value that we bring, and and it's because of what we've done and the the knowledge and gains, the knowledge and skills we've gained. That's great. And then, so do you have to be a licensed uh, DC or PT to go through the program? Right. Yes. You have to be the licensed DC or PT. Uh, um, we encourage people to have at least two years of clinical experience because we, 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 we recognize that we want to be able to build on not just the knowledge and skills, but also a certain amount of um, um, existing experience with, with clinical care. Um, and we, we encourage you to have a knowledge of um, end range loading strategies, which can, which mainly arises from the McKenzie uh, system. Uh, not that you have to be McKenzie certified, but uh, the more you know about 
uh, those in-range loading strategies that M the McKenzie Institute has brought and that, that teaches, the, the, the easier it is you, you're going to be able to, is going to be for you to be able to, you know, move rapidly into this role. Um, uh, and, and the more you know about exercise, especially like motor control exercise and things like that, that's, that's a big value as well, because again, it, it, it allows you to, to build on that. Um, yeah. but basically, you know, basically, um, the, the, the absolute basis is having a, um, a DC degree or a physical therapy degree and two years of experience. It sounds like a great self-made three-year residency would be obviously graduate and then uh, really hone in on some of the end range loading and some of the rehab, maybe some soft tissue, obviously get your, you know, your crisp books and, and then, you know, get your clinical experience going and see patients, see patients, see patients. And then in that third year, you can actually take your program and, and put a nice little bow on a three-year residency. Yes, yes, exactly. That's right. That's cool. All right, docs, here is a new opportunity for you from Darcy Sullivan of Propel. She is our SEO specialist in helping out many chiropractors uh, with their search engine optimization and making sure Google is finding you and getting you new patients. It's amazing how many new patients chiropractors can get and are getting when they do uh, the SEO right and a few other things. And Darcy is offering a free SEO workshop just for chiropractors. And you can sign up for that at bit.ly bit.ly slash propel MCM. That is bit.ly bit.ly propel MCM modern chiropractic marketing, right? And so check out that link. And we're going to have you go over five SEO secrets to owning the first page of Google uh, without buying ads. And Darcy's going to give that free workshop one hour to really help grow your practice and start churning new patients from the ever mighty Google, which is still king in the online marketing. So check that out at bit.ly slash propel MCM for the one hour free workshop. Well, what, okay. So what's the potential growth opportunities uh, coming out? Any other universities you're looking to collaborate with or hospital systems or anything? Yet we've had a number of uh, conversations with uh, other institutions. Um, you know, when you when you're talking about two institutions communicating with each other, that's a very very slow process. And that's what we, we found that you know we're used to. You know, all of us came back came from a background in in private practice where you make decisions, you have to get moving. You you know you can't be wasting time on stuff because you you you're building a practice. You know that that requires you to be on top of things and uh, communication goes quickly and decision making go quickly. Well, in the academic world, it's not quite like that. So, yeah. so uh, it's been a slow process. So there's no, uh, I have nothing concrete to report on that in that realm yet, but mm -hmm. those conversations are happening. Uh, but in the meantime, we are also, my other hat is, I have two other hats to, to share with you. One is the Primary Spine Pr Practitioner Network. You can see the, the logo behind me. This is an organization that uh, allows chiropractors or physical therapists who are interested in the primary spine practitioner role, they don't have to be enrolled at the University of Pittsburgh. They don't have to be a graduate. They all, all they need, it really is just an interest in serving in this new role of primary spine practitioner, where we offer resources that they can, they can uh, gain to, to understand, you know, what it's like to, to function as a primary spine practitioner, to build on the uh, crisp books you know, resources in a case-based environment to, to, to gain more skills, 
and knowledge in the application of CRISP as a primary spy practitioner uh, to, to gain resources in terms of um, professional development, developing yourself in your professional life, in establishing yourself in your community as a primary spy practitioner, um, and also a communication process by which you can get together with other like-minded chiropractors or physical therapists who are also interested in this area and communicate with each other and kind of share ideas, share with each other what works, what doesn't work, and all that, those kinds of things. So it's creating a community of like-minded people because you know the important thing here is that this primary spike practitioner role, I, I'm certainly extremely excited about it. Uh, I, I see the value it has in the in the healthcare system. We'll talk about my experiences as to why I'm so confident with regard to that. But also, it, it's important that the the world, the the greater healthcare world, don't fully understand even or even are aware of this new innovative role. And so, it's up to us as individuals, but also collectively to get the word out there as to what this is, why we uh, have so much to offer with regard to uh, functioning as a primary spine practitioner. And that's how you build uh, uh, awareness out there is by getting out there and forming relationships and, 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 and communicating with people. And, and again, the, the primary spine pro provider network provides resources for you to be able to do that. Again, an, uh, opportunities to collaborate with each other in, in doing that. The knowledge and skills, and importantly, not just the knowledge and skills that you can apply with your patient, which of course is supremely important, but also the ability to communicate that knowledge and skill to other people in the healthcare system. So they understand and they recognize you as maybe something a little bit different than what they has been their impression as to what a chiropractor is, uh, which who knows what you know, when somebody says, I know what a chiropractor is, you, you, you know, like me, you, you cringe sometimes and think, okay, what do they think is a chiropractor? So, um, but so this is an, an opportunity. We, we provide resources, but also the, the PSP model in general is an opportunity for you to kind of clearly identify, establish an identity as to what you are. And so that, you know, that has been hugely helpful to me in my career, certainly. Uh, in, when I was in private practice, at the height of, of my busyness as a primary spine practitioner, I was seeing between 60 and 80 new patients a month, 80% uh, of them referred by, by medical physicians. And so I had been pretty successful in getting the word out there as to who I am, what I do, and, and having people recognize that and see the value in that. Uh, and then, of course, as as a result of seeing uh, what the, the results that they they see with their patients, seeing that, oh, yeah, this guy really is what he, he makes himself think he is. And so that's where, again, the knowledge and skills clinically are so important there because it, anybody can promote, promote themselves any way they want. If they don't have the goods to back it up, then it's going to fall on deaf ears. So being able to do that, I was able to build my career and a very successful practice as, as a primary spy practitioner. And that has led to all these other opportunities. Yeah, and that's something here at MCM that we, we take serious because I think what positions us uniquely is a lot of marketing or business practice growth companies, like a lot of times they're putting lipstick on a pig. You know, they're trying to take a bad product or a bad doctor and turn them into success. Like for us, the, the clinical is the table stakes. And that's why we collaborate with you know, MPI and FTCA, and I'd love to have you on here and help out. We've actually had some 
mem- you know, PSP clients of ours that needed to help like position themselves as an expert in that, in their community and get the messaging right and how to do that. Uh, clinic gym hybrid model, like these different organizations that really take the clinical serious. That's who we want to talk to. Uh, I, I honestly don't care to speak to the other types of chiropractors that um, don't care about the clinical side. And that's why I love having folks like you on here to realize, okay, it's great and it's so necessary to be very skilled clinically, but we also have to take into consideration the business development side of things. Otherwise, uh, a couple of things. One, you know, we're going to die on the vine uh, and that's not fun. Or two, unfortunately, those patients in your community are going to go see those other types of providers that are not good. And then that person's going to go down this racket that sucks. And so yeah. it's important that we we get clear on that, right? Like you can be phenomenally clinically and you have to be, but you also can be very good at business or in marketing and do it ethically and elegantly. And that's what we try to marry those uh, two things. And yeah. and I kind of want to segue to the network effect that you're working on creating and how it does take time. And I, you know, I liken it to, you know, the the first phone a hundred and something years ago, right? Like the problem with the first phone was that there wasn't a second phone. And then when there was a second, that was better. And then same thing with the internet, like it takes that network effect where yes. you obviously have a, you hit a critical mass and then it goes from there. And, and, and that does take time. And, you know, if, if I can be of any help to help that out, like, you know, even having you on here, hopefully will help. We, we get quite a few listeners each month, your, your PSPN program, is obviously set out to do that. Um, what are some of the the progress that you're seeing in that kind of network effect over the last five or six years? Yeah, well, the other, the third hat that, that I'm wearing is this, we have a company called Spine Care Partners. And Spine Care Partners is in the business of um, establishing in the various communities. We've put together an integrated spine pathway with the primary spine practitioner as the hub of that wheel. And then bringing that to communities, we've brought it to uh, hospital systems, primary care communities. We've brought it to, with the, a lot of the interest has been t- uh, taken up by payers, Blue Cross Blue Shield plans, et cetera, that have bring, brought us on to put in place in their community uh, this model, this, this spine care model with primary spine care as the, as the hub of the wheel, where typically is a chiropractor or a physical therapist side by side with traditional uh, the, the traditional primary care community working together. And so by bringing that to communities, we've been pretty successful in establishing this PSP role. Uh, but of course, like you said, with telephones, uh, you, can put the, you can put primary care in place, but if you don't have anybody to do primary spine care, then it doesn't mean much. It can be a great pathway but you need to have actually people to do it. And so that's where we had a more abbreviated training process by which we can help physical therapists and chiropractors to at least understand how to play that role and kind of bring their knowledge and skills up to a certain extent, not to anywhere near the the detail as we do at the University of Pittsburgh certification program, which is why that is a certification from a bona fide university Whereas the training is, is a more abbreviated, but it does allow us to establish the process by which physical therapists and chiropractors can understand how to play this PSP role in their, in their community within this established pathway. 
And so, um, so that is a way in which when we do that, we uh, put together musculoskeletal collaboratives where it's, mm -hmm. you know, these, these physical therapists and chiropractors can collaborate with each other and collaborate with the primary care community, whereby the vast majority of patients, 85, 90% of patients can be taken care of purely on that primary spine care level. But yep. also, as we talked about earlier, being able to make decisions as to that 10, 15%, which is small, but they're, they're fairly large since uh, spine problems are so uh, prevalent, but also they're an important uh, population of patients because they do need other professional services. Making those decisions as to what they need when and follow them through to full resolution so that we're putting that to place. So it's, this is a real thing. Uh, it's not a, a theoretical construct anymore. It was uh, 10 years ago when we wrote the first paper on the primary spine practitioner model. Basically, it was mostly a th theoretical construct that we recognized that we had been doing that in private practice. But as far as anything close to being widespread, the, what it didn't exist. Now, 10 years later, which is not a very long time, it is becoming widespread. It's not... Mm -hmm universal or anything close to universal in the healthcare system, but it's starting to take shape. And so it requires us to participate in that. Yeah. And one of the things I saw firsthand was how active release techniques did that because I was certified with them for, for many years. And uh, ultimately, I think it came down to a couple things. I know there was more to it because they didn't have any delineated uh, marketing training for ART or anything like that. But what they did was their ART providers became big time advocates and they really built a, a quite a um, advocate program from their trainees. And those people became like salespeople for it. And then they got really good results, especially in the sports world. So then they became, you know, providers on NFL teams and all that. And that, that network of effect really spread through ART. So I think with the PSP practitioners that are out there in their communities, got to really start doing a great job of educating through content marketing and just, you know, education and meeting with other providers and, and do that and build that, you know, local buzz in your community. And, and then that will go. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I need one in, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina. Boom. There's one there. I need, and, and that's how it'll, but ART, it didn't happen overnight for ART. Yes. Uh, it, it took a little bit of, bit of time. And, and I, you, I think, you know, I'm going to segue a little bit to some of the real world examples that you have here. And, and one of that I have is someone that I know. Um, she, she's uh, given credit to the fact that she got a VA position um, through having her PSP uh, training. And, and that was really cool to hear. I'm sure a lot of your doctors that are matriculating through your program are looking for really good career opportunities. Uh, what are some of the things you're seeing with that? Yep. So, uh, so again, I talked about these communities in which we're putting these these pathways in place. Uh, the nice thing about those is that uh, you don't have to change what you're doing now. We're bringing together mostly uh, private practice folks who are just want to participate in the community, and so that's that's a nice thing. But there are also are examples out there of systems of care that are are recognizing the value of this, uh, this new role, the primary spine practitioner, and are bringing them on board. There's a large uh, ACO, uh, primary care community in, uh, in Boston, for example, that uh, we, we trained and put into place the PSPs there. And um, uh, when I say put into place, they, we train them 
they put themselves in place. They did they did the the, the com- communication and marketing themselves, and they they so now they have a fairly widespread network of of clinics out there that have uh, primary spine practitioners in uh, in place. Uh, the same thing has happened at the U- University of Pittsburgh at the uh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. They've established a spine program where, in this case, certified uh, primary spine practitioners are are playing that role of PSP and uh, and, and taking care of patients and and doing well and and uh, you know making a professional living uh, in, in an integrated um, uh, in integrated setting where they 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 interact directly with other professional services right there in the same in the same building. And that's the experience that I've had over the past um, several years in the in the systems I've been working in. So that kind of thing is starting to happen. It's building. Um, it's again, it's not what you would call widespread at this point, but it's on its way to becoming widespread. And that's the exciting thing about being a part of this whole thing. Yeah, no, that's great. And are, are you seeing a little bit of an improved compensation structure for those PSP providers that are getting these opportunities? Is that coming to fruition yet? Yeah, that's the interesting part because we've been working a lot with with payers. And uh, so, as I said, with academic institutions, payer systems also, any change you want to see are very, very slow to come by. And so, um, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that as the system is attempting to move towards a value-based model, and that's why payers are so interested in us, and that's also why organizations, um, healthcare systems who already have a value-based um, relationship going on with payers, they're very interested because then all of a sudden we become valuable. You know, whereas in the fee-for-service. Uh, environment, it's not impossible to build a very successful practice, but it's a little more challenging because, you know, with, with, with a big hospital system, for example, a lot of them are incentivized to do more high expensive stuff to people, not doing right by people. And so that makes it really challenging. But as we move more in the direction of value, then our value increases because we can get a better job done at a better price. And in a free market, that's what being successful is all about doing the best job, producing the best product or services and selling them at the best price. That's how companies become successful. That's been working for centuries and millennia. In healthcare system, it's more challenging. But again, as we move more towards a value-based system, that's when our value suddenly skyrockets. But that hasn't fully taken place yet. So we're not quite there yet. But I'm more confident than I've been in my career that we're on our way there. Nice. And, you know, sometimes I run across chiropractors looking for jobs, say, from another private practice owner, another chiropractic owner, and they've got a lot of good certifications and credentials, and they're hoping that carries a higher, you know, maybe a six-figure compensation structure. And And it tends to sometimes narrow their opportunity pool because, there's not a lot of private practice owners that can can handle that. Is there any, are you seeing any of that? I, I know it's a reality. It's like you, you get someone that's highly trained now through the PSP program and they're they're looking for a job at a, at a private practice and maybe there's not the network effect there, there yet of a lot of PSPers that can bring on an associate yet or they're not seeing other chiropractors put the same value on it yet. Is, that, is there a mismatch on that yet and, and any thoughts on it? 
Yes, there is. And uh, again, I think it's changing, but there are, I think the real opportunities lie in systems of care that, again, especially ones that are moving into a value-based environment. But a lot, I think a lot of those systems are, I see them as diamond in the rough. And we're spine care partners and the primary spine practitioner movement network. We're communicating with a lot of these diamonds in the rough that it may not be on their radar as to what kind of value we can bring to them. Uh, and they, it wouldn't be on their radar until somebody puts it on their radar. And so we're working on putting on the radars of those diamonds in the rough. And so that's starting to happen. It's happened. It's happening more slowly than I like, would like to. I would like the whole thing that I envisioned to happen yesterday. I would love nothing more for that to be the case, but that's not how life works. It's trickling along, but it's gaining some momentum. So I see it happening. Yeah, that's, I think, something you and I are like-minded on because my massive transformative purpose and one of the main things I'm doing this for is because you know, I just I just did a, a solo episode on the podcast. Every so often, I, I do a riff on a solo episode, and I kind of talked about the chiropractic vicious cycle, where um, a lot of new DCs are coming out. They're they're not finding good opportunities, so they decide to kind of go bootstrap and go on their own. They don't learn anything on how to actually run a business or practice or leadership or you know the whole nine yards, and and then they get kind of wrapped up into the survival mode right out of the gate. So they don't have time to do something like PSP. And so then they struggle along for years. And now we're creating these chiropractors that can't grow a thriving practice that can then afford to hire. They're struggling to afford to pay themselves, to hire a front desk, let alone hire an associate chiropractor, let alone hire an associate chiropractor that, that pays well. So the, you know, these young DCs are coming out complaining about the pay and a lot of it is rooted in this vicious cycle that's happening, uh, and, I, and I'm trying to I'm trying to break that and and get people to wrap their minds around how they can do that, so that then there are plenty of great chiropractic offices out there looking to hire great young chiropractors at a very 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 nice compensation structure. And so it's this vicious yep. cycle that I'm seeing. You're probably seeing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, yeah, and, yeah. and I'm trying my best to help. And I know you're trying your best to help. And, and I, I definitely uh, commend you for that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, and, and the, thing, the thing is about that is that um, it is a vicious cycle, but it's not one that we can't break out of. And Agreed. if we take our action steps and the resources that you have, the resources that we have at the PSPN, uh, the, the, the CRISP protocols that allow you to streamline your, your clinical approach, but also to to take that knowledge and skill and be able to communicate it with your community, that's how you break out of that vicious cycle. It's not an in inevitable downward spiral. It doesn't have to be that. You can bring yourself out of it. A hundred percent agree. And, and I'm excited about that future. And, and, and I know you and I will keep working at that. And I, I really want to thank you for your time today, Doc. This was, this was really good, really informative. Uh, again, if there's anything else I can do ever to, to help uh, let me know, but, you know, let's leave with uh, how can they reach out? How can they find out more about your programs, whether it's PSP or PSPN? I'd love to have them have that information and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Okay, great. Yeah. So go ahead and check out the Primary Spine Provider Network. You can go to Facebook and just look up Primary Spine Provider Network and request becoming a member of that. That's our open social media chat. But then also check out PrimarySpineProviderNetwork.com 
online and you'll learn about what we have to offer uh, on our, our website and you can find out about how to become a member. It's, uh, it's $8 a month. And one dollar of those of that membership at, per month actually goes to World Spine Care, which you may be familiar with. That it's a mm-hmm. a charity organization that brings high value spine care to underserved areas around the world. Dr. Scott Halsman is the director of that. Go ahead and check out primaryspineprovider.com, the on Google, and also check it out on Facebook, and you'll find out more about us. Um, the clinical uh, clinical reasoning and spine pain books, the Chris books. Uh, they're available on Amazon. So go ahead on Amazon, look them up, uh, check them out. I think you'll find them as valuable as, as so many people I've heard from that have read them has told me. So I've, I have a pretty good experience base that tells me, yeah, this is really a value to, to, uh, to chiropractors. Uh, and, and also uh, think about the primary spine practitioner roles. Think about whether you think that would be an interesting direction for you to turn your career. We'd love to have you on board. It's a movement. It's a movement that's gaining momentum, and I would love nothing more than for you to be a part of that movement because by being a movement with exciting people, exciting and excited people involved, that's how these things really happen. So I'd love to to see you there. And if you want to contact me, donald.murphy at spinecarepartners.com is my email address. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today, Doc. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you want to make the shift from busy, broke, and broken to time-free and cash-confident, or you just want to continue with the exponential growth, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com. Look at the MCM Mastery tab, watch the short video on there, and check out what we are doing now for evidence-informed chiropractors. We are equal parts coaching and marketing done for you. Yes, you shoot some videos. We help you with campaign strategies and ideas and really become a thought leader in your community. You shoot those videos, you send them to us. We produce, edit, and brand them to you. Then we distribute them through all of your channels. We also take them and we turn it into one good blog per month. And every other month, we have Darcy Sullivan producing a robust blog with a topic that you pick from her database to help with your SEO. So we essentially become your content marketing agency to make sure your practice is always having ethical, elegant content marketing to help grow your practice. On the coaching side, we also help you with everything from marketing ideas to business, communications, finances, anything practice growth and really try to help prevent you from being stuck on that island. And we hold you accountable. We have a great group of doctors that are just doing amazing things. And we look forward to help you out to take that next step in your practice. So again, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com and learn more.